Chapter Eight A of The Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne O'Brien. The Shake by E. M. Hull. Chapter Eight A. Slowly and painfully, through waves of deadly nausea and with the surging of deep waters in her ears, Diana struggled back to consciousness. The agony in her head was excruciating, and her limbs felt cramped and bruised. Recollection was dulled in bodily pain, and, at first, thought was merged in physical suffering. But gradually the fog cleared from her brain, and memory supervened hesitatingly. She remembered fragmentary incidents of what had gone before the oblivion from which she had just emerged. Gaston, and the horror and resolution in his eyes, the convulsive working of his mouth as he faced her at the last moment, her own dread, not of the death that was imminent, but lest the mercy it offered should be snatched from her. Then, before the valet could effect his supreme devotion, had come the hail of bullets, and he had fallen against her, the blood that poured from his wounds saturating her linen coat, and rolled over across her feet. She remembered vaguely the wild figures hemming her in, but nothing more. Her eyes were still shut, a leaden weight seemed fixed on them, and the effort to open them was beyond her strength. "'Gaston!' she whispered feebly, and stretched out her hand. But instead of his body, or the dry hot sand her fingers had expected to encounter, they closed over soft cushions, and with the shock she sat up with a jerk, her eyes staring wide. But, sick and faint, she fell back again, her arm flung across her face, shielding the light that pierced like daggers through her throbbing eyeballs. For a while she lay still, fighting against the weakness that overpowered her and by degrees the horrible nausea passed, and the agony in her head abated, leaving only a dull ache. The desire to know where she was and what had happened made her forget her bruised body. She moved her arms slightly from before her eyes so that she could see, and looked cautiously from under thick lashes, screened by the sleeve of her coat. She was lying on a pile of cushions in one corner of a small tented apartment which was otherwise bare except for the rug that covered the floor. In the opposite corner of the tent an Arab woman crouched over a little brazier, and the smell of native coffee was heavy in the air. She closed her eyes again with a shudder. The attempted devotion of Gaston had been useless. This must be the camp of the robber sheikh, Ibrahim Omer. She lay still, pressing closely down amongst the cushions, and clenching the sleeve of her jacket between her teeth to stifle the groan that rose to her lips. A lump came into her throat as she thought of Gaston. In those last moments all inequality of rank had been swept away in their common peril. They had been only a white man and a white woman together in their extremity. She remembered how, when she had pressed close to him, his hand had sought and gripped hers, conveying courage and sympathy. All that he could do he had done, 
He had shielded her body with his own. It must have been over his lifeless body that they had taken her. He had proved his faithfulness, sacrificing his life for his master's plaything. Gaston was in all probability dead, but she was alive, and she must husband her strength for her own needs. She forced the threatening emotion down, and, with an effort, controlled the violent shivering in her limbs, and sat up slowly, looking at the Arab woman who, hearing her move, turned to gaze at her. Instantly Diana realized that there was no help or compassion to be expected from her. She was a handsome woman who must have been pretty as a girl, but there was no sign of softness in her sullen face and vindictive eyes. Instinctively Diana felt that the glowing menace of the woman's expression was inspired by personal hatred, and that her presence in the tent was objectionable to her and the feeling gave a necessary spur to the courage that was fast coming back to her. She stared with all the haughtiness she could summon to her aid. She had learned her own power among the natives of India the previous year, and here in the desert there was only one Arab whose eyes did not fall beneath hers. And presently, with a muttered word, the woman turned back to her coffee-making. Diana's Muscles relaxed, and she sat back easily on the cushions. The little passage of wills had restored her confidence in herself. She moved her hand, and it brushed against her jacket, coming away stained and sticky, and she noticed for the first time that all one side and sleeve were soaked with blood. She ripped it off with a shudder and flung it from her, rubbing the red smear from her hands with a kind of horror. The little tent was intensely hot, and there was a close, pungent smell that was eminently native, that she had never experienced in the cool airiness and scrupulous cleanliness of Ahmed ben Hassan's tents. Her sensitive lip curled with disgust, all her innate fastidiousness in revolt. The heat aggravated a burning thirst that was parching her throat. She got up onto her feet slowly, and with infinite caution, to prevent any jar that might start again the throbbing in her head. But the effects of the blow were wearing off, and though her head continued to ache, it did no more than that. And the sick, giddy feeling had gone completely. She crossed the tent to the side of the Arab woman. "'Give me some water,' she said in French, but the woman shook her head without looking up. Diana repeated the request in Arabic, one of the few sentences she knew without stumbling. This time the woman rose up hastily and held out a cup of the coffee she had been making. Diana hated the sweet, thick stuff, but it would do until she could get the water she wanted, and she put out her hand to take the little cup. But her eyes met the others fixed on her and something in their malignant stare made her pause. A sudden suspicion shot through her mind. The coffee was drugged. What beyond the woman's expression made her think so, she did not know, but she was sure of it. She put the cup aside impatiently. No, not coffee, water, she said firmly. Before she realized what was happening, the woman thrust a strong arm round her and forced the cup to her lips. 
that confirmed diana's suspicions and rage lent her additional strength the woman was strong but diana was stronger younger and more active she dashed the cup to the floor spilling its contents and with an effort tore the clinging hands from her and sent the woman crashing on to the ground rolling against the brazier oversetting it and scattering brass pots and cups over the rug the woman scrambled to her knees and beat out the glowing embers uttering scream after scream in a shrill piercing voice and in answer to her cries a curtain at the side of the tent that diana had not noticed slid aside and a gigantic nubian came in with outstretched hands shaking with rage pointing at diana she burst into voluble abuse punctuating every few words with the shrieks that had brought the negro diana could understand nothing of what she had said but her expressive gestures told the story of the struggle plainly enough the nubian listened with white teeth flashing in a broad grin and shook his head in response to some request urged with denunciatory fist he picked up the last remaining embers that had scattered on the rug rubbing the smoldering patches till they were extinguished and then turned to leave the room but diana called him back she went a step forward her head high and looked him straight in the face fetch me water she said imperiously he pointed to the coffee that the woman had recommenced to make her back turned to them but diana stamped her foot water bring me water she said again more imperiously than before with a wider grin the negro made a gesture of acquiescence and went out returning in a few moments with a water-skin the thought of its condition made her hesitate for a moment but only for a moment her thirst was too great to allow niceties to interfere with it she picked up one of the clean coffee cups that had rolled to her feet rinsed it several times and then drank the water was warm and slightly brackish but she needed it too much to mind in spite of being tepid it relieved the dry suffocating feeling in her throat and refreshed her the nubian went away again leaving the woman still crouching over the brazier diana walked back to the cushions and dropped down onto them gladly the events of the last few moments had tried her more than she realized her legs were shaking under her and she was thankful to sit down but her courage had risen with a bound the fact that she was physically stronger than the woman who had been put to guard her and also that she had gained her point with the burly negro had a great moral effect on her further restoring her confidence in herself her position was an appalling one but hope was strong within her the fact that she had regained consciousness she had seen only the woman and the nubian seemed to argue that ibrahim omir must be absent from his camp the thought that he might purposely be delaying the moment of inspecting his captive with a view to prolonging her mental torture she put from her as improbable she did not credit him with so much acumen and from his absence her courage gained strength if it could only be prolonged until ahmed reached her that the shake would come she knew her faith in him was unbounded if he only came in time hours had passed since the ambuscade had surprised them 
It had been early afternoon then. Now the lighted lamp told her it was night. How late she did not know. Her watch had been broken some months before, and she had no means of even guessing the hour, but it must be well on in the evening. By now the absence of herself and Gaston and their escort would be discovered. He would know her peril, and he would come to her. Of that she had no doubt. Although he had changed so strangely in the last few days, though the wonderful gentleness of the last two months had merged again into indifference and cruelty, still she never doubted. Even if desire had passed, and indifference had become so great that she was no longer necessary to him, still the oriental jealousy with which he was so deeply imbued would never allow him to let her pass so lightly from his keeping. He might discard her at his own pleasure, but no one would take her from him with impunity. Her woman's intuition had sensed the jealousy that had actuated him during the unhappy days since St. Hubert had come, an inconsistent jealousy that had been unprovoked and unjustified, but for which she had suffered. She had known last night when she winced under his sarcastic tongue, and later when St. Hubert had left them, and his temper had suddenly boiled over, that she was paying for the unaccustomed strain that he was putting on his own feelings. His curses had eaten into her heart, and she had fled from him to stifle the coward instinct that urged her to confess her love and beg his mercy. She had lain awake with shivering apprehension, waiting for him, but when, after nearly two hours, he had sauntered in, the usual cigarette between his lips, indifference had taken the place of rage, and he had ignored her, as she had grown used to being ignored, and long after she knew from his even breathing that he was asleep, she had lain wide-eyed beside him, grasping at what happiness she could, living for the moment as she had schooled herself to live, trying to be content with just the fact of his nearness, and the indifference of the night had been maintained when he had left her at dawn, his persistent silence pointing the continuance of his displeasure. But he would come, if for no other reason than the same jealousy which held him in its inexorable grip. He would come. He would come. She whispered it over to herself, as if merely the sound of her words gave her courage. He would not let anything happen to her. Every moment that Ibrahim Omer stayed away was so much gained. Every moment he would be coming nearer. The reversal of the role he played in her life brought a quivering smile to her lips, for the advent of the man who a few weeks before she had loathed for his brutal abduction of herself, she now prayed with the desperation of despair. He represented safety, salvation, everything that made life worth living. A sudden noise and men's voices in the adjoining room sent her to her feet with heaving breast and clenched hands, but the sharp guttural voice predominating over the other voices killed the wild hope that had sprung up in her by its utter dissimilarity to the soft, 
low tones for which she longed. Ibrahim Omer. He had come first. She set her teeth with a long, shuddering breath, bracing herself to meet what was coming. The Arab woman turned to look at her again with a sneering smile that was full of significance. But beyond a fleeting glance of disdain, Diana paid no attention to her. She stood rigid, one foot beating nervously into the soft rug. She noticed irrelevantly at the moment that both her spurs and the empty holster had been removed whilst she was unconscious, and with the odd detachment that transfers a train of thought from the center of importance even at a supreme moment, she wondered with an annoyance that seemed curiously futile why it had been done. The voices in the next room continued until Diana almost prayed for the moment she was waiting for would come. Suspense was worse than the ordeal for which she was nerving herself. It came at last. The curtain slid aside again, and the same huge negro she had seen before entered. He came towards her, and her breath hissed in suddenly between her set teeth. But before he reached her, the Arab woman intercepted him, blocking his way and with wild eyes and passionate gestures poured out a stream of low, frenzied words. The Nubian turned on her impatiently, and thrust her roughly out of his way, and coming to Diana put out his hand as if to grasp her arm, but she stepped back with flashing eyes and a gesture that he obeyed. Her heart was pounding, but she had herself under control. Only her hands twitched her long fingers curling and uncurling spasmodically, and she buried them deep in her breeches' pockets to hide them. She walked slowly to the curtain and nodded to the Nubian to draw it aside. And slower still, she passed into the other room, only a little larger than the one she had left, almost as bare. But her mind took in these things uncomprehendingly, for all her attention was focused on the central figure in the room. Ibrahim Omer, the robber sheikh, lolling his great bulk on a pile of cushions, a little inlaid stool with coffee beside him, and behind him, standing motionless as if formed of bronze, two other negroes, so like the one that had summoned her, that they seemed like statues that had been cast from one mould. Diana paused for a moment, framed in the entrance, then, with head thrown back and swaggering boyish stride, she moved across the thick rugs leisurely and halted in front of the chief, looking straight at him, with haughty, curling lip and insolent half-closed eyes. The hold she was exercising over herself was tremendous. Her body was rigid with the effort, and her hands, deep down in her pockets, clenched till the nails bit into the palms. Every instinct was rebelling against the calm she forced upon herself. She longed to scream and make a dash for the opening that she guessed was behind her, and to take her chance in the darkness outside. But she knew that such a chance was impossible. If she ever reached the open air, she would never be allowed to get more than a few steps from the tent. Her only course lay in the bravado that alone kept her from collapse. She must convey the impression of fearlessness, 
the cold terror was knocking at her heart. Masked with indifference, her veiled eyes were watching the robber chief closely. This was, indeed, the Arab of her imaginings, this gross, unwieldy figure lying among the tawdry cushions, his swollen, ferocious face seamed and lined with every mark of vice, his full, sensual lips parted and showing broken, blackened teeth, his deep-set, bloodshot eyes, with a look in them, that it took all her resolution to sustain a look of such bestial evilness that the horror of it bathed her in perspiration. His appearance was slovenly. His robes, originally rich, were stained and tumbled. The fat hands lying spread out on his knees were ingrained with dirt, showing even against his dark skin. His heavy face lit up with a gleam of malicious satisfaction as Diana came towards him. His loose mouth broadened in a wicked smile. He leaned forward a little, weighing heavily on the hands that were on his knees, his eyes roving slowly over her till they rested on her face again. End of chapter 8A